Hey, what's up? This is TJ from Bumpin' Uglies. You're listening to Bradley's House Podcast. Check it out. Nothing is impossible, but certain things are highly improbable. Don't think I'll meet your kind again, not in this lifetime. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bradley's House, the podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation and our host, Ms. Kelly Knoll. Kelly, it's been a couple weeks. How are you? I'm doing good. I have to say, it cracks me up the way that you say executive director. It makes it sound super impressive when really all I just do is the shit that nobody else wants to do. But thank you for saying it that way. You are the literal, you are like the epitome of burning the candle on both ends. It's ridiculous (laughs) how little credit you give yourself for the amount of stuff that you're doing. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So just stop it. We've, because (laughs) of the amount of things that you've been doing and all of the things that we've had going on, uh, we've been absent for a few weeks. So uh, we apologize to our listeners, but we're back. And uh, one of the things that so many people said, hey, I, I miss listening to the podcast. Where have you guys been? Uh, I love checking out the stories. And uh, and stories are what we've been bringing people, some amazing stories. Yes. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be any different today. Kelly, who's our house guest? Today, I'm so honored to have with us someone that I met at the last Noel Family Foundation benefit show the one that we had on June 25th at Alex's Bar in Long Beach. It was such a phenomenal night. My nephew Jacob played with burritos and we just, we had an amazing lineup. We had Sunsea Trails and Dylan Brecky, and it was just an amazing night. It was so much fun. And in addition to that, I got to meet our lovely next guest. And anyway, she and I started talking. I gave her my card. We followed up and I was like, you know, I would love to have her on the podcast. So I asked her and she was so gracious and agreed to. So we are very fortunate to have with us today, the house manager for Victoria's Lighthouse, which is a women's sober living in Southern California, and a registered nurse, Socorro Crab. Thank you so much, Socorro, for being with us. I am so honored that you asked me, so thank you. You're very sweet. Now, there were a few reasons why I thought it would be so great to have you on the show. First of all, you're in recovery, Mm -hmm. so I think it's always great when people can hear recovery stories. As you know, it's just so encouraging. It reminds people that they're not alone. You know, anyone who's been to any kind of a 12-step meeting can appreciate how valuable it is to hear from other people and their struggles and their victories. And to be able to hear from somebody who is not only in recovery, but now is helping other people in recovery, I think is so powerful. And of course, your medical background is so helpful. So I, I just appreciate you coming on and taking the time. I know you're super busy, but why don't you kind of start from the beginning and tell us a little bit about your recovery story? So, um, first of all, I I just want to say the night that we did meet was amazing. And I just recently got into going to concerts. I I grew up uh, in a very sheltered household, very um, traditional Filipino 
you know, culture, Asian culture, um, very, very, very Catholic. And I always felt different from everyone because of that, because I had this inner, I guess, desire to to question everything always. I've always been super, super inquisitive. I've always been um, just curious about everything. I, I'm, I'm never one to sleep or miss out on anything. And my parents would always say that I was the kid. I was the, the child that they had that wouldn't allow them to sleep. So to this day, <laughs> to this day <laughs> I still have to take medication to help me sleep. And so mm-hmm. the, the reason why I'm giving you this background is because me pushing away from my parents and wanting to be different and because I, I, I feel that I am Whenever I say left of center, do you understand what that means? Yes. Okay. Because I used it and, uh, you know, with some of the women here who are younger, they're like, no, Socorro, no, you're not, you're not. And I'm like, no, I am. (laughs) (laughs) It's not necessarily a bad thing. Center means. Yeah. (laughs) But you're just not, not super mainstream. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll often hear, um, uh, people in recovery say they just never fit in and they mm. use drugs or alcohol to fit in. I loved it, Kelly. I loved being different. Mm. I reveled in it. And I just, I, I don't, I don't know why I grasp onto that so strongly, but anytime someone would go that a girl, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. Um, I just pushed away from my family. I pushed away from that tradition harder because I felt like it just boxed me up and it ended up causing a lot of resentment between me and my family because Mm. there were, yeah, well, there were a lot of things that I did that wouldn't be condemnable um, to most Americans, but because my parents, you know, immigrated here in the seventies, me, I mean, wearing a bikini, oh my gosh, I was grounded. Whoa. You know, I was grounded. And, you know, they um, would call all of my relatives and say, do you know what she did? Oh, no. She was practically <laughs> naked. <laughs> Shaming you to the family, huh? Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, and they gosh. would threaten to send me to the Philippines if I didn't mm. straighten up. Oh, my gosh. And so I, but me, I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I would still sneak out. I was just the devil child. I'm, I'm, and the black sheep of the family because my brother and sister, I'm the middle Ah. So that, that also adds to the story and I'm a Jedi. Yeah. (laughs) I like this because I think so many people do come from a very traditional background and, and they, they sort of break away from that or they rebel against that. And then that turns into doing other things. And a lot of times it's just, it's just a break out of the boredom or the expectation or, you know, the confines of what they feel they're being told to do and not being allowed to, you know, exactly. become who you want to be. Exactly. And so I, I hear, I hear a lot of artists say that too. And I'm sure Bradley's probably said it to mm-hmm. you when he, you guys were younger, but it's like, people just don't understand me. Um, right. I have this desire. And it's like, the only thing that makes you happy is that thing. And if you can't have that thing, 
you seek it in other things. Mm. And for the longest time, I sought it in just external girls. you know, you yeah. can do this. And so it got to the point where whenever I would leave the house, my parents wouldn't say, okay, I love you. Be safe. My mom would always say, bite your tongue. Oh, God. And so, and I was like, all right, whatever, mom, whatever. And so I just had this real, just cavalier attitude toward anything um, that my parents represented. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what I, and you know, it does matter. It does. And I, I see that now and I feel that I could have had a better relationship with my um with my family all this time um, but what program has taught me what what being in recovery has taught me is I'm exactly where I need to be you know yes. because I'm here and once I accepted that you know it 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 just stopped recovery right. stopped and um it it hasn't always um mm-hmm. relapse is definitely a part of my story uh you know but it doesn't have to be a part of everybody's story so um you know pushing away from my family uh, you know and there were some other things that happened and I honestly I'm I'm a survivor of a Mm. lot of things and I was a survivor of a lot of things before I began to just be happy um when I was 12 I was um sexually molested by my uncle oh Um, no Oh, you know, but I survived it. It, It's okay. But I, I use that as a, uh, why me, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a victim. Okay. And so I use that to just further my, I'm so different. And then, um, I don't know. I, I, I got into to nursing, not because I wanted to, and not because my name, you know, my name is, is, um, is, Spanish help. Uh, my full name is um, on my birth certificate from the Philippines is Maria de Socorro, which means mother of perpetual help. Being mm. super, super Catholic. So Socorro means help. And um, people ask me, is that why you became a nurse? No, I became a nurse because my parents told me that, you know, I didn't have to graduate with any sort of degree that could earn me a living, but I couldn't move home after I left college. Ah. And so I was like, well, all right. Seeing as though um, in my family, this, this was my perception of my experience in college. I chose a college my parents didn't want me to go to because it was out of state. So I had to um, earn my own way through scholarships. I was a smart kid, you know, all through mm-hmm. school. I didn't even have to try. And I graduated with honors. Nice. You know? um, yeah, and my GPA was so high that I basically skipped all of my classes. I lived an hour east of New Orleans, <laughs> and I had a driver's license and a car. I skipped Uh-oh. a lot of school. Yeah. I drank a lot of alcohol. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. So, but I was the fun kid. I was the fun, you know, you know, crazy kid that people wanted to hang out with behind the scenes, but not, you know, not in front of everyone else because Mm. I don't know I don't know what it was about me I think it may have been my family and them you know not wanting to get 
into all that drama because there were, you know, other girls out there that their parents would let them go out. And for me, it was a challenge. I don't know. I like to think that right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I, I earned everything that I I had. And so um, I earned all these scholarships, drank through, um, through college, I went to the University of Dallas, which is a liberal arts school, whatever. Um, but I drank the entire time I was there, but yet I didn't have a drinking problem, even though okay. when I went home, you know, I was like, shit, I can't keep doing this. So I, I moved back home, which is Gulfport, Mississippi. I moved back home. Um, I decided, okay, fine, I'll go to nursing school. And to get into nursing school, I had to, again, earn money to go because my parents were, you know, too busy paying for my older brother and my younger sister, which Mm -hmm. was the truth, you know? So I'm like, fine, whatever. I'll earn my keep. I'll earn my own way. So, I mean, and my whole attitude was up. I don't need you anyway. I don't need you anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so up until the time I was, let's see, I'm 51. Yeah. (laughs) Up until, you know, I got sober. That was my that was my mantra, you know, I don't need you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so after doing all of this, I got some blood work done, you know, so that I could earn my, uh, earn a living to go through nursing school as a nursing assistant. So in order to train for my nursing assistant certification, got some blood work done. Um, and something TB tests, it was positive, hadn't been positive before. Anyway, so liver enzymes were highly elevated, highly, Mm. highly, highly elevated. And so um, that's when my mom found all these pictures of me partying and stuff like Uh that. This is before digital shit. Why did I? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, we all got busted from those damn pictures back then. Dude, I know. Oh, right. Oh, so bad. Yeah, and because so, we couldn't just keep them on our phone or our computer. We had to print them out. And we so, had to print them out and pick them yep. up at the fucking store. Exactly. <laughs> so there was always going to be evidence floating around. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. And so my So my did parents your parents like, freak out? They did. They freaked out. And then, you know, they said, you've got to straighten up. And I did, I did because I had a goal in mind that I didn't need them. Um, and whatever I was, I met this man, um, in when I went to school in Dallas and we ended up, you know, dating throughout the entire time that we were separated. You know, when I was in nursing school, mm-hmm. I got through nursing school again, I'm a smart ass kid. And so once I figured out what the test taking was all about. I mm-hmm. aced everything. I didn't even have to study. So what was I wow. doing? <laughs> uh-huh. I was drinking. We yeah. had, so I went to school in Alabama um, at the University of South Alabama. Go Jaguars. And um, <laughs> they, had, they had this thing called drinking with Lincoln. And you would be able to get into a bar with $5 and you could <gasps> well drinks until no. you passed out oh gosh oh my word that sounds dangerous it was so dangerous (laughs) how I got home on occasions was beyond me I don't Mm. I don't know but you know it 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 didn't really end there because I ended up um 
in a marriage that was awful, you oh, know, um, I had, uh, my, my first pregnancy, air, um, ended in a miscarriage and, oh, I'm so um, sorry. um, oh, thank you. Um, I wouldn't w- wish it on my worst enemy. It was the yeah. worst, but you know, I rebounded after I found out that I was pregnant with, um, my oldest child, mm-hmm. um, Allie, she's now 24. She just turned 24 and she's profound. Oh. Aut- yeah. She's profoundly autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 13 months to the day I had Joe, um, who is 23 and he is also profoundly autistic and wow. I, yeah, well, um, they certainly grounded me at the time. Um, and they, help me keep it together mm-hmm. while my marriage fell apart. Um, yeah. you know, my, my, my husband became very abusive, um, oh. not just physically, but emotionally. And I was, oh, I'm I, so sorry. I, I've just never been one to cower. And I, you know, I didn't even realize, I just thought maybe I deserved it because mm-hmm. I was just, you know, such a bad person for not, you know, meeting up to people's expectations. I don't know. I don't know. The lies um, we tell ourselves, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, I wanted, I, I wanted to follow somewhat in my, you know, family tradition and, yeah. you know, be married one time and, you know, stay married and live happily ever after. Um, because I know that my parents have been through their challenges and sure. they, they stayed together, you know, um, mm-hmm. things that I know I probably wouldn't have tolerated. Um, yeah, but they did because they're of a different generation. Um, and so <clears throat> after 10 years of marriage, two of which were happy, I decided I could be miserable on my own. And I, <laughs> right. I yeah, you know, so I, yeah. left, I, I was in Austin at the time, which is again, a great music scene and, um, things would happen around me. And I couldn't join, you know, because I had these kids and this husband who would leave me home on the weekends, you know, to go hang out with his friends. And yeah, I, I just felt like, again, you know, trapped in this life. And so I invented or or not, I invented, I created a life that suited me. And whenever my husband would leave, I would have people come over. We would all, you know, drink play something, poker, mm-hmm. crazy eights, whatever. We'd all get stoned while the kids were asleep in the <laughs> in oh, their gosh. rooms. Yeah, I was a really good mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, again, you know, as an, as an uh, budding alcoholic, you know, I, I didn't always make the right decisions, but I'm the best sure. decision, yeah, well, the best decision I did make was leaving my, um, my husband and, um, I moved back home with my parents and, you know, that was horrendous because I could do nothing right. And, you know, I was working in the same hospital as my mom. Um, I worked in the ICU. She worked in, um, the OR recovery. Uh, and and it was just, everything I did was reported back to her, you know? Oh, so awful. And so after about a year of this, you know, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't even go watch a movie with my cousin, mm. you know? And so I was like, okay, for, I, I forget this. And I went out 
I went out and I met someone and I was like, screw this. I have been unhappy <laughs> for mm-hmm. a year, almost a year. I'm going to, I'm going to do something and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to try to find yeah. some happiness in this horrible life of mine. And I met someone and, you know, again, I don't make the best decisions, but after my parents found out about that, they completely disowned me oh, completely. No. And my family wanted nothing to do with me. And again, oh. Kelly, I could, I, I don't need you anyway, you know? So, right. so I took um, an assignment in California. I was living in Mississippi. I took an assignment in California at Long Beach Memorial in their ICU. And I did that for three months while I paid um, one of my dear, dear family friends to um, stay with my children. Mm. Um, so that they can continue school and, and, and whatnot. And I would, you know, just return at the end of that three months and do that, you know, until I had to go back again to earn a living. Well, Hurricane Katrina hit then. <gasps> and so like two days before my contract ended. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so I flew back home and grabbed my kids. Um mm. And we just ended up back here. And I, and it's been what, 16 years? I don't even know how many years, but I've been here since then. And the entire time I have had dysfunctional relationships um, with the men. Uh, It's just nothing, nothing worked. The only thing that Mm. did work was my, my career. I was an amazing nurse and I don't Mm -hmm. know how. I don't know how I was a good nurse, but I was a good nurse and I was everybody's favorite nurse and I oh. excelled, but I also had, that was also a profession where, um, if you had a, a tough day, you know, you would go home and drink. Right. Um, and that's what we did. That's how I was hired at one of my jobs. You know, I told my, um, then manager how, um, my, about my children. He said, wait a second, wait a second. You're stressing me out how do you deal with all of the stress? And I said, I I love red wine. And he goes, you're hired. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's very acceptable in that profession. It's also very acceptable, even though it's on the down low. I mean, so many times you hear a nurse saying, well, I just happened to have some, some Vicodin in my pocket and I had the worst, whatever. And I took it. Mm. Um, Such a high stress position. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you know, uh, there are a lot of nurses that have um, problems with, with substances yes. and it, it is just a very, very stressful environment, mm-hmm. but it wasn't even so much that I just felt like I, I, I deserved a break. I don't know. Like it was owed to me. Um, hmm. And I, the drinking just became worse. And then I started pocketing medicine to inject. Yeah. And here I am in, but I didn't have a problem yet, Kelly. Sure. Of course not. (laughs) Seriously. You know, I would, and I, I love the way it felt. I love the, the, you know, and I never, cause I was such a hyper girl and I know medicine. I was like, no, I don't need anything to pick me up. I need something to bring me down. And I realized that the more I drank, the, you know, I would black out and I would sleep Mm. and I loved it. So all of these voids were being filled by all of these drugs and, 
it was always whatever got me there. If it was Mm. the drugs that got me there and ran out or, you know, alcohol was always a factor. Yeah. It was always a factor. You know, it was like, that's why getting stoned is nothing for me because I just know I'm going to, I'm just going to get hungry and then I'm going to want to drink. And so that's why my recovery is such that I cannot afford to do anything. And so, you know, I, I went through all of this, um, still not getting caught stealing and diverting meds, uh, you know, and I would drive drunk with my kids in the car and I would say, fuck it all. Yeah. If we die, at least we all die. If I crash, at least we all die together. Mm. That was how, that, how sick I was. Yeah. Gosh, I'm going on and on about my food, my recovery. Um, anyway, no, this is, no, this is great. And I think a lot of people can relate to this stuff too. You know, we all have those thoughts and honestly, like nobody's perfect. And I, I truly believe that we all do the best we can with what we have at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and the the longer someone goes on in their addiction, they're they're still trying to do their best. You know, it's just at that time, what you've got to work with is shit. You know, <laughs> exactly. You've got to you've got to get something positive to work with, and in order to pull yourself out of that. And for so many people, that's you know a program or twelve step, whatever. But um, but I I don't. I don't think you need to apologize for any of that because honestly, like we all go through that and, and, you know, especially when we get those roadblocks in life or those, Mm -hmm. you know, things that don't go the way that we hope they would. And, um, you know, stressful job and this and that, I think, I think your story is, is very relatable. At what point did you realize that there was a problem that you needed to do something about? Um, the first time was when, I almost burned down my sponsor's yard. Wow. So what, what happened is that it, it culminated in me um, actually being found out. I was finally discovered um, diverting medication for my patients mm-hmm. um, and nothing really came of it for almost, no, no, for over a year. So I just thought nothing of it. And during that entire year, I wasn't working because I was um, getting treatment for breast cancer. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So at this point in time, I was in a committed relationship with this gentleman that, you know, we it had been 10 years and all of a sudden it was just too much for him. And he decided I was going to be okay. And that was okay to leave me. And so, of course, boohoo, boohoo me, sad, sad, sad. I was like, oh, no, you can't leave me until my hair grows back. I, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, um, so he stuck around. You had a lot you were dealing with. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, but it really, none of it was so catastrophic that I would, you know, I, I, none of it was a good enough reason for me to burn anybody yard down, mm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Imagine. How did that happen? Um, There's no reason good enough to to get the way I was, um, but it it is a horrible, horrible disease that sneaks up on you, Um, and 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 it's only found it's only noticed when it is problematic, you know. Um, And so 
after all of this, I, I just was so sad, you know, and I didn't finish telling you about the whole uncle thing. No one believed me. Mm. No one believed me. I made oh. that all up. When, oh, Socorro, I'm so in sorry. In retrospect, I did everything to keep my family from finding out so that right. they wouldn't kill my uncle. Right. And, you know, just a lot, just a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, and my, my ex-husband didn't help me financially with my children because he's a trust oh. fund baby. So he quit working. So he didn't have an income for me to draw child support. Oh my God. So, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't care and I didn't sue for, for, um, for what we used to call it alimony. What's it called? Spousal support. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't sue for that because fuck you. you yeah. Know, I don't need you. I never needed you. You know, I shot myself in the foot. Um, cause I'm proud. Um, yeah. so having gone through all of this, um, I put on a really, really good face. Uh, I, I was then, um, put on antidepressants and it really helped, but I was still, I don't know. I was still sad. I don't, it was depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was still sad. I had this, I don't know, my kids, we're still you had a lot going weird. on. Yeah, it was it was hard. And it, it, I just tried really, really hard to be positive about everything. And so I um, enrolled myself in this wellness thingy at UCI, you know, I, and I, I was learning how to meditate and eat right and all of this stuff. And um, one afternoon, I was at home getting ready for my kids to come home from school. And I get this phone call. My son was hit by a car crossing <gasps> the street. Exactly. No. And being a nurse. Oh, no. Fuck. And uh, it was bad. It was bad. Because, oh, no. Yeah. And it just put me in a situation where, you know, I, I, every it was so stressful because he needed 24-7 care. Oh, my god. 24-7. Gosh you know, and it was all I could do just to, you know, be alert. Yeah. I just, yeah. So I just, I just did it. I just did it, Kelly. I just did wow. it. I don't know. I just did it. And that's why I tell you, I, I was surviving all of this mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Um, because after everyone recovered, that's when I decided I'm going to focus on my children again, because at this point, the board of nursing did catch up with me. Mm. And so anyway, um, I went through a whole rigmarole. And so my, they're allowing me to reinstate my license, but boy, I mean, the one thing, the one, my one jewel in life. Yeah. And I pissed it away because because I, I was sad. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but that's, that's what it was. Right. That's what it was. And, um, you know, it it was just a horrible time in my life. And I began having people come into my house to work with my children five days out of the week, every day, every day. And it was so stressful. It was so stressful to have people. I felt like I was under a microscope because there, yeah. was a, there was someone that was there just for me to 
help coach me as the therapist worked with my kids because I was trying to get them independent enough to um, to live in a group home. And I was like, fuck it all. I'm drinking. Uh-huh. I ended up meeting this family that had an autistic kid and they would go camping and drinking and stuff like that. And so that's what I would do. I would go camping and drinking with them. Um, even though I hadn't had a drink in forever, I was like, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'm drinking. And mm. it was, it was on then it was on then wow. because that very couple that was my best friend at the time. Um, again, um, I ended up getting raped by her husband and oh I couldn't even gosh. say anything because I, uh, yeah, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say anything because I was so ashamed and I yeah. that I put myself in that situation, you know, um, and me being blamed for everything again. So oh, I lost gosh. this woman as a friend who I really, really enjoyed hanging out with anyway. So I just started drinking a lot and it, nothing stopped me, nothing yeah. stopped me. So I, drank in the morning as soon as I woke up as soon as my kids were out of that I drank as soon as you know I, I just I just drank because I realized I could pass out mm-hmm. and then I was doing it in front of the therapist oh gosh you know and I almost had my children taken away from me so, oh my gosh yeah so I I you know I'm a smart girl and so I called their caseworker for regional center and I got them placed in the best uh, the best group home um, for autism, for autistic um, adults. And they are doing so well there. Mm. But, you know, they filled this huge void in my life because they grounded me for so long and I had nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And was, and yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, fuck it. And I just drank and drank and drank and drank and drank. And um, I was... I lost um, the house that we were living in um, because I couldn't pay for it anymore. Uh, so uh, I, I moved into um, a small one bedroom apartment. Then I, I don't know, I was drinking all of my money and smoking it and whatever I could get my hands on. And I ended up um, not being able to afford it there. So I just, said, I'm, 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 I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate. And that's when I walked into, um, this recovery hall at Thursdays and Mm. I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I just knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, you know? Um, so I ended up getting a sponsor that day. Um, I, after a couple of months of not paying my rent at my apartment, I ended up getting kicked out, ended up living with mm-hmm. my sponsor. And after about five months sobriety, um, I thought I can, I'm okay. Oh no. I'm okay. Yeah. Well, because of my drinking, um, I, you know, my, I, I ended up having, um, uh, a bad relationship with my, uh, my boyfriend at the time. And I, he said, your life is just too sad for me. I can't watch you kill yourself. And, oh, wow. and I just said, well, you know what, if I, if my life is so miserable, then why am I alive? And mm. that was my first admit to a psych unit right there because he yeah. sent the cops over 
Um, but it didn't really help anything, Kelly. It just made me, you know, realize I couldn't depend on him. <laughs> yeah. So I manipulated my way out of that because the medical doctor that um, did rounds in the psych unit at that hospital was a former colleague of mine. And um, I managed to get out of there um, telling him that I would stop drinking. And uh, yeah. And so I ended up at my aunt and uncle's house in San Diego and both of them were, um, were disabled. They could barely walk. Uh, They had an upstairs that wasn't being used. So, um, and a full liquor cabinet, by the way. Uh And and yeah, and I didn't have any money. So I would just drink their liquor and I was found out and I was so ashamed of myself um, that I put as many of my belongings in my car and I drove, I think it's a total of three days all the way back home to Mississippi sleeping. Yeah. Sleeping in, uh, what are they rest areas and stuff Uh like that. And, um, that's when my parents and, and sister and brother told me that this, you know, you've burned all your bridges. Mm. We're happy to help you this time, but know you're breaking our heart to Mm. see you like this. We just want to help you. Let's just put all of our differences aside right now and let's just get you help. And um, yeah, so they wouldn't let me go. And I was starting to miss my kids. And I said, whatever I decide to do, I have to be near my children. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to make sure that I was seeing a psychiatrist, that I was seeing a psychologist, that I was going to go into a, um, a program of some sort. Um, and that was my intention, but I still admittedly drank on the way back to California. (laughs) But after that, because I did ding my car um before I got to the sober living home and I decided I would not fix my car use that as a reminder and I'm going to get well Mm. I'm going to get well because I need to get well yeah I just need to get well you know I don't have my career I don't I barely have my family Mm. I am lucky to still have custody of my children. Right. You know, have I killed anyone? I don't know. You know, have I woken up in a strange room with no underwear? Yes. Mm. You know, um, I'm fucking lucky. And I have been sober now for 18 months. Congratulations. Of of everything. And I... Yes. And it feels so good, Kelly. It feels so good because this program has taught me not to be a survivor, but Mm. to be happy, you know, and being happy is, you know, accepting people for who they are. Right. It's okay to be different, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that's why I love Dylan's song so much when I was at that concert, you know, and I'm so grateful and happy you know, that I did discover punk rock when I did, because mm-hmm. I, I never, this was devil's music to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I think was, what is and, and so, just, what's so powerful about your story is that you, 
you continue to have challenges, but at some point you realized, okay, I need to throw the same energy that I've been pouring into my problems into the solution. Like that's kind of what I'm hearing, you know, that, yes. that all this, you're obviously a very strong woman. And so all this shit is going on and you're just trying to find ways to cope with it, find ways to, to get through it, you know, but, but when you saw that it wasn't creating the life that you wanted, you, you did the difficult stuff like that is, it's not easy that the easy road is just staying in your addiction and, and numbing your mind and, and allowing that to get you through each day. The, the tough mm-hmm. stuff is having the, the courage to face life sober, because for a lot of us, it's a difficult thing. Facing life really sober is, is a yes. very scary, difficult thing. And so, you know, getting sober doesn't remove your problems. It allows you to deal with them clear headed and face on. And that's a very difficult, scary thing, but that's the only way through it. And so what I hear from your story is that, that you have the strength and the courage to do that. And that's how I feel about everyone who's in recovery. It takes so much strength and courage because yeah, the addiction, even though, you know, everyone hits their bottom, but, but even in the midst of the bottom, the addiction is what makes all of that go away temporarily, you know, it like, really does. It really yeah. does. So to be and, able to and, pull and it, yourself it, out of that is huge. It works. It works until it doesn't. And then exactly. you're exactly right. You know? um, right. And so every time I listen to a, a story of recovery, it just fascinates me. It yeah. fascinates me because I look at them because I used to think I was so different from everybody. Mm. I am not. I am right. not special. Right. I have special circumstances, but I am not special. Right. You know? And it's that isolation um, that, that just makes it even harder to, oh, to deal with sobriety. Cause we definitely. all feel like everything we go through, especially the things that, that we, we keep in secret, you know, like the molestation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sadly, that is a very common occurrence that happened to me as a child too. And, and you yes. begin to just sort of protect that that memory or that person, because you feel so much shame and guilt around it. And mm-hmm. that becomes so toxic in your life. That's the, that's the word. That's the word. Yeah. It, it is toxic because it does poison you. Yes. And when people use that term, they don't know how powerful it is. Oh, yeah. but it, it, it is, it is a poison. And I used to think that addiction wasn't a disease, but mm. it, it is. And it is a progressive disease. And Absolutely. I know, and I have to believe this, if I went out again, Kelly, I would die. Mm-hmm. I know I would because that, I mean, it's the same thing as with cancer. Once right. you have it, it's there looming, right. you know, and it's you life or death. Be, yeah. You have to be diligent. You have to check yourself. Right. So every day I wake up, you are not drinking today. Right. And right. I wake up and people ask me, how are you today? I say, I don't think I'm good or I'm doing well. I tell them I'm grateful because I'm fucking mm-hmm. grateful. None of my yeah. circumstances have changed. Yep. None. But you have changed. Exactly. Oh my God. Yes. You get me. <laughs> yes, you absolutely have. So how did you get involved with Victoria's Lighthouse? So, um, when I was at that sober living home, I, I'm very OCD, uh, in a lot of ways. And I didn't even realize I was that type A personality until, um, I was at work and I, 
was in a position where I was mentoring a lot of people because I was the go-to girl and um, we ended up opening all of these amazing um, programs like cardiovascular surgery, open heart surgery, all of these amazing things. Um, And so, yeah, it's really neat because I still have like, I'm the first nurse that recovered the first heart patient at this hospital. And, you know, they have, right. Yeah. So I'm very, very, um, proud of that. I have no idea why I was telling you that story now. (laughs) Well, Um, it's super badass for starters. (laughs) We were talking about how you got involved with with Victoria's Lighthouse. And then, and then, okay. So my type A personality. And so, um, uh, this respiratory therapist was showing one of his students, okay, this is the, the ventilator. We usually follow these orders, but when Socorro is your nurse, you have to make sure you tell her everything or else you're going to get your head chewed off. And I just looked at him. I'm like, Larry, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. You know, I, I love to teach. And he's like, Socorro, have you met you? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to really think about it. And I'm like, shit. Yeah, I, I'm kind of OCD <laughs> about my stuff. And so when I was at the sober living, they wanted you to have a get well job. Well, my license was suspended at the time. So mm-hmm. I did whatever they told me to do. And so nice. um, I got a job at this telemarketing place where, <laughs> where I sold. Uh, no, I didn't so- sell. I tried to keep people from discontinuing their car warranties. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. That's a good job. Yeah. At least you were doing something. That's huge. It's a get well job. And this job, I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to take direction Mm -hmm. and, you know, and at the house, I was a 50 year old woman sleeping in a fucking bunk bed. Mm. All my best ideas got me there. So I better start listening to other people. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) All my best ideas got me there. Yes, oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, you have yes, definitely so learned I, a tremendous amount of humility. And that's, that's oh huge. That's the gosh. key to teachability, right? And which is so the key to I recovery. Just, I, I just rolled those curtails and I just did everything like 100%. Get up, do morning meditation, wake up early. Not only wake up early, I would have coffee made and make sure everybody <laughs> else was down. You know, I just want that overachiever. Yes. You know, and so um, I ended up meeting this wonderful woman at work. Uh, She had two years of recovery and she didn't have a sponsor. And at that time, I only had a few months of recovery, but um, I had already gone through my steps. Uh, My sponsor told me I was ready to um, sponsor another woman. And I was so happy to do it the house that this lady was in didn't have a house manager. Mm. And she asked me if I would be interested in that. And um, the thing is, is that if I did accept a position, I wouldn't have to pay rent. And everybody knows how expensive it is to live in Southern California. It's outrageous. Yes. Yeah. That's like having a whole nother job, being able to live rent free. Yes. So I deal with the headaches of, of having my women call me. And so I, um, so you do that in addition to working as well. I don't, I I thought I could, but this is at 24 seven. I don't have an an assistant, you know, at this, at this house, there are different types of sober livings. 
One is a step house and that's the strict form where you do the morning meditation and you do everything as a family together. And that's more of a, you really need your hand held. Um, And then there are sober living homes where you just get out of the house and you come back home. You know, Mm -hmm. you go to meetings, nothing is required of you except to do your tours. Um, And my house is in the middle because I can make my house whatever I want it to be. Yeah. So um, the owner of the house just asked that I make sure that the ladies keep their shit clean and tidy, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's a lot harder than you think because half of, um, I shouldn't say that, but our house also accepts um, people who have mental health issues, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they are my most difficult ones because right. they, they look to me as someone, because the, the lady that you met that night, Kelly, was a lady that was, you know what, you've lived a sheltered life, be happy, be out, be personable. I went there because I fell in love with Jason DeVore on a concert cruise that my boyfriend Mm -hmm. took me to. Mm -hmm. And I saw that he was going to be performing. And then I went because I loved the reason behind the charity that he was, you know, why he was singing. And so I, I just, and then I was so excited to see him and then he recognized me from the cruise because the cruise is not, and you know, yeah, he is so wonderful. And so he gave me a hug and we just talked and it was just amazing. And so I was like, screw it. (laughs) I'm going to have fun. (laughs) And so, um, and that, I don't know, it was just such a fun night, but you know, it took about a week for me to recover from that just because I'm so I I'm so used to being isolated that I am introverted. That's yeah. how I recharge that I just sit in my room and I'm quiet. <laughs> yes. I you get know? that. And so, cause all I do is I hear a hum in my head. And so luckily I, I, I learned how to meditate and I've learned how to breathe and I have all these amazing mm-hmm. tools and, you know, I can fucking call my mom now, you know, <laughs> You know, I think that's so important for people to have tools. And I think if we don't have the tools, we go looking for ways to make it work. And we don't always do such a good job with that. So it is so important. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the 12-step program is that it does allow you to find tools that, that you can turn to. Because as you said, like, life doesn't change. Your circumstances don't really change. They're still going to be there. That's the truth. That's the truth. And that's what I tell my women here. You know, I have one um, resident that had, that had her children taken away from her because she was doing meth while she was pregnant. And Mm. so now she's trying to get her children back, which is wonderful. So she's been sober. She's gone through her, you know, all everything that the child protective services wants her to go through. And now she is, um, she was awarded unsupervised visitations with both of her children. And it is just the most beautiful thing. However, one of her oldest child is autistic and is getting um, applied behavioral therapy uh, to help him. Um, he's two and her youngest is seven months and he's got this intestinal disease called Hirschsprung's disease. Has oh. nothing to do with her, her addiction or anything. It's yeah. just, you know, one of those things. And she just told me, Socorro, 
I forget how overwhelming it is, you know, to take care mm-hmm. of them both together. And I just told her and I said, well, as hard as it is, as overwhelming as it is, it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. It's going to get worse and just know that. And yeah. so I wish someone would have told me that. Yeah. You know, just, it's going to get worse. Just expect it because that's life. Yeah. Just but you is. can handle it. And I think that mm-hmm. that sometimes we forget that we tend to think when things are bad that, oh no, this is you know, like, we want to run from it. Not realizing that, you know, we can handle that stuff. There's a way yeah. through it. There's, there's a way to, you know, to rise above it and, and bring good things out of it. And we, unfortunately, we unfortunately, oh, when is, you're the- stuck in addiction that you don't see those opportunities to, to rise above and to excel and, and to make something positive out of a negative situation. That's correct. That's correct. That is so 100% correct. We just, you know, a, a lot of the times, all of the bad things, um, the victimization, we, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a part of who we are. Yeah. Don't take that away from us, mm-hmm. you know, do not. But, you know, it, it, it really is just a part of that whole toxic thing. Yes. And you'll, you'll find that the people who do relapse are the ones that don't really accept that you really have a choice in this. You yeah. really have a choice in this. I mean, just like with my ex-husband, I, I, every time I would think about him, the, the, my, my emotional response would be visceral. Like I, my, mm-hmm. my heart would jump into my throat. You know, I just wanted to pummel him. Um, and it just ate me up inside. And yeah. then when I realized, you know, so he ended up getting married and he's got two kids. I re- I, I just started praying for those kids, Good those poor children. They have no choice. Yeah. Just like my kids didn't have a choice. And I, I told them, I said, I pray for your children that they have a better father in you than Allie and Joe did. Mm. And I just kept repeating that, you know, he, you know, maybe David didn't realize what he was doing back then. Yeah. He was sick. I just have to assume that, you know, he was younger. We were all young and stupid then, yeah. you know? And so if I'm being, if I'm asking people to, you know, accept me for who I am and forgive my, you know, past, you know, transgressions. Mm-hmm. I need to do that too. Mm. Ooh, that that's intense. Is, You're right. Yes, it is. Ooh. It is. Can you imagine reconciling mm. being molested by your uncle? What mm. the fuck? Right. How do, you do that. When do I get a chance? I mean, that, right. you know, I used to tell my coworkers, if anyone had an excuse to be a crack towards me, Right, <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, yeah. You, but you can't stay there. You can't stay no. there because you know. Because then they I, win, and the, then the abuser wins. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, can't let and them so fuck up your abuser, life. Yeah, my abuser has Alzheimer's now, and now mm-hmm. I just pray, you know, that he finds peace with himself because yeah. I have nothing to do with him anymore. It's gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Carl, you are such an inspiration. Thank you so much for being so open and honest and vulnerable, because I really do believe that there's so much that you mentioned that other people can relate to. And as you said before, it's so isolating when you feel like nobody can understand what you're Mm -hmm. going through, 
But so much of what you mentioned, I certainly can relate to. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that can too. And I, that, that takes a, a lot of strength and courage. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I have to say, I'm so impressed with you and Aww. I hope I can, well, I hope I can, <laughs> can allow you to see yourself from a different perspective. But what I see is someone who has been through a lot of shit in life and has found a way to rise above it and, and be better because of it. And the fact that now you're turning around and helping other women, you know, you mentioned that one woman who has an autistic child and you can speak to that having Mm -hmm. autistic children. And there's, there's just so much that, you know, if you had stayed in your addiction, your life would be shit, that your relationships would be shit. Like there would be nothing to show for it, but because you have made those hard choices, Mm -hmm. then you have, you're able to impact other people. And then that becomes an exponential effect. And so it, you'll never see all of the changes that you affect, you know, like it, it will, it's like a ripple effect and you're, you're my age. So you remember that, you know, and, and they told two friends and they told two friends. And so on and so <laughs> remember that commercial? Your one life now has this great, big, huge ripple effect of good and of positive and all that crap that, that it could have been has now been turned around. And I, I just hope you recognize that and, and give yourself a huge pat on the back for it. But it is really, really remarkable. That makes me that that really just touches me. I, I, you know, brings me to tears because, you know, I do get tired. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. You know, but I, I, you know, I, I, I try, I try really hard. And this is what keeps me sober is sharing Mm. my story is Mm. listening to to somebody tell me how they feel and, you know, and I'm like, you know what, let's just, let's go, let's, let's go shopping. Let's go to the beach and, <laughs> you know, and just get, let's get out of your head. And yes. it, it helps even if just for a day, they don't think about killing themselves. Yeah. I'm good. That makes me yeah. feel so good. It's the little things, you know, well, and that's and, huge for someone who thinks about killing themselves every day, having mm-hmm. one day to not think mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. is life changing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, but thank I, you I, so much. Oh, honey, I just, I, I want, I, I have been so destructive my whole entire life, really. And I just, I want to build, you know, I'm thinking of the, the world that we live in now. Fuck. Why, why, yeah. keep, why add to it? Shit. Let's, right. <laughs> let's just all just rock out. Dang. Right. You know, let's support each other. Be kind. And yeah, be there's kind. enough shit. It's not hard. That's what yeah. I tell my girls. Just be nice to each other. You don't have to like each other. Just be nice right. to each other. <laughs> exactly. Well, and only I, knock I, on my door for emergencies only. <laughs> well, I do need to apologize to my co-host, Jarrett. I apologize that he didn't get a word in edgewise, but I so enjoyed hearing your story and talking with yeah. you. You absolutely inspired me and I guarantee that you've inspired others. So just a huge thank you. Thank you for coming to the show on the 25th. It was so great to have you there and to meet you and we appreciate the support. But most of all, thanks for the work that you're doing because I do believe that you are impacting people in in a huge way, whether you realize it or not. It's those, it's those everyday things that we do with people and we don't realize, but you know, big picture those are the moments that, that can impact a life and can really allow someone to turn around, whether it's now or three months from now or three years from now, you're planting seeds. And I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of you. And it, 
it really is an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's been really a pleasure for me. And I, I, I just have to tell you, Kelly, I don't know how to take a compliment. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and just say thank you so much for saying, saying those things and <laughs> feeling, I just, you know, it, it's, it, it really, I appreciate that you noticed that because I try to, to live the steps because it's just mm. a great guide for life yes. for everybody. You know, I, I am happy today. I'm happy. You know, you should be, you have a lot to be proud of. You really do. So, and plus I met you and you know, this is so, <laughs> this is so much fun. And, um, I, I just got on Instagram because I went, did that, uh, punk rock karaoke and Stanley, yes. I met Stanley and he's like, oh you follow God. me on Instagram. I'm like, I follow you now. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good so, for you. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. You will. You will. Right on. For you. <laughs> A wonderful. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Socorro. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, Kelly, it's almost like we needed to take a few weeks off before that one. What right. an amazing story. When she said in the beginning of the podcast that she's a survivor, she's not kidding. Yeah, she's really inspirational. And, you know, it takes away a lot of the excuses because we all deal with stuff and feel like, well, this is my reason or this is my excuse. But someone who was dealing with so much shit and still was able to get her life on track very impressive and, and very encouraging as well. And what a, what a great person. And, you know, it's so hard to be open and honest about your failings as well as your victories. Cause you know, we always want people to think the best of us, but I always appreciate when someone comes on and is willing to be so open and honest, cause that's really where the healing happens and, you know, where people can relate. And I've said this before, but I think that's why people relate to Brad's music so much because he was so open and vulnerable and honest and, those are wonderful qualities that we all respond to. And Socorro definitely displayed that on this interview. That was really cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really neat. So, and a uh, shout out to Jason DeVore for bringing a, mm -hmm. a fan to, to us and to the podcast. He's an amazing musician, much better at music than he is at Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was okay with it. Gabo was not happy. I would not be surprised right now if somewhere Gabo de Fayuca is in a locked room with a, a, a jug of water and a pea jug and Mario Kart, and he's not leaving until he he's not leaving until he masters it. I would not be surprised. Saying, that is a difficult game. I can drive like a motherfucker, but when you put me in front of a video game to do it, it's like I've never driven a car in my entire life. So I make myself feel better by insisting that it's you know, it's an artificial simulation. I don't know. I will, I will say that I, you know, I spent, uh, a, you know, a full day with Jason and the only time I saw him put his glasses on was during Mario Kart. So <laughs> serious, a serious I, I, step. Yeah. I even said, I said, did he just put his glasses on? Yeah. Well, know. in all fairness, he, he kicked our producer Anna's ass in Mario Kart and she'll be the first one to say that. But she kicked Gabo's ass. And so that would explain why he would be brushing up on his skills. He'll have to come back and have another uh, battle with Anna so we can forever say who is better at Mario Kart. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to do it because I'm telling you, Gabo, it changed his entire night, his, his full demeanor. <laughs> 
for the rest of the day changed. He's pretty he was, competitive. Yeah. Yeah. He was not happy about it. Well, he wasn't happy about the ass kicking and, um, and you know, maybe Anna and Finn reminding him that he was getting his ass kicked is probably bothering him a little bit as well. <laughs> That's so, true. Um, probably but, didn't help. Uh, and, and these are the crazy things that can happen at Knoll Family Foundation events, just yes. like the one that we had in June. And I think it's, it's got to be time for another one, right? It is. You are so right. We are working on nailing down the final lineup for our next benefit show, which will be Saturday, August 20th at Sea Legs in Huntington Beach. I'm so excited that we are going to have one of my favorite bands headlining, Burritos. I love them because I love all of them individually as human beings and people. And they play Sublime's music really, really well. So that's going to be super fun. I'm super stoked that we get to have Burritos play for us on Saturday, August 20th. We also have some special guests, some other people that are still being confirmed. So it's going to be a phenomenal show. I hope everybody puts that in their calendar right now. Uh, you can get all the info at sealegsatthebeach.com. It's a free show. Sea Legs is giving us a generous donation. We'll have a bunch of merch there. It's going to be a phenomenal day from 2 to 10. Super fun. So I hope everybody listening that's in the area will make an effort to come on out and say hi. Yeah, guys, please come on out. Uh, Sea Legs is an amazing, an amazing venue. Outdoors, right on the beach, great views, lots of seating. Uh, And if we want to keep doing these every year, we need to make sure that we show out and uh, Mm -hmm. show Sea Legs that we're going to be out there. So um, I haven't seen burritos since they opened for Slightly Stupid at Cali Roots. So I'm uh, I'm very excited about that. since they opened for slightly stupid that was their pop-up performance it was so good it was really good of course we had most of the burritos members playing with jacob on the 25th at alex's but to be able to have them all there doing their thing it's going to be a fun night there's never been a burrito show that i've been to where it didn't appear that everybody was having a blast like they do such a great job we're just capturing that energy and um and the it's fact amazing. that, yeah, that, that they're all, they love the music. They're such great people. Of course, Casey Sullivan, the lead singer of Burritos, is on our board of directors for the Knoll Family Foundation. So it really is like a, it's a family reunion. It's going to be a great day. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. And again, I don't want there to be any confusion. Uh, at Cali Roots in Monterey, California, Burritos played a bunch of songs. Everyone loved it. Sang, around, <laughs> sang along. And then after they were done their set, Slightly Stupid started. Um, so you're right. They opened for him. Yes. Yeah. I was there for <laughs> it. So, uh, so super excited about it. Yes. Guys, if you're, a, if you're a Sublime fan, Burritos does, uh, does all the justice. So uh, come on out and celebrate with us. Uh, lots of other cool guests and things that'll be going on there. If you cannot make it out to Huntington Beach in August, you can always show your support by clicking the link tree. It's in the description of every single show uh, or visit the knollfamilyfoundation.org and um, be able to get all of the information for uh, how you can support by t-shirts. We got the Bradley t-shirt. I, I think, I know they're going fast, but- They uh, are. I know Jen those- Armstrong, our social media director just posted- recently and the reason i know that is because every time she posts i get a flood of orders so thank you to everyone 
who has bought them thus far. And if you haven't gotten one yet, there are still some available. Go onto our website and uh, click that merch link and you can find those on the web. Yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. So tons of ways that you guys can get involved and uh, every little bit helps as we get closer to getting Bradley's house up and open. Uh, Kelly, everybody knows the deal. We come on, we do a little, hey, how you doing? And then we have an awesome guest who tells a great story and then we finish it up. We tell them about cool things that are going on with the Noel Family Foundation and everyone knows before they leave, they get to hear a song. So what's everybody get to hear on their way out today? I will tell you, Jarrett, but before I do, I would just like to say that we are super close to being able to open the first Bradley's house. And I know I've been hinting for a while that we're going to be making an announcement soon, and we're not quite ready to make that announcement, but I just want everyone who's been supporting us for all of these years to know that we are super close. So please, if you are considering a tax-deductible donation of any kind, we are a 501c3 we would love any support that we can get. We do all of this as a community, supported by donations. Bradley's House and the Noel Family Foundation are completely supported by donations. So thank you to everyone who's donated so far. And if you haven't yet, we sure would appreciate it because every donation, no matter how big or small, gets us that much closer to opening Bradley's House. And even though I can't say anything specific, I just want you all to know that we are super close and I'm so excited because I know so many people for so many years have been working hard to make this happen, to get to this point. Of course, you, Jarrett, and Anna, our producer, and there are so many people. Brindy, who's on our board and helps at all the events. Um, we, we have so much great stuff happening right now. And, and I can't announce anything until it's completely official, but I just want everyone to know that there are things happening behind the scenes. So thank you for sticking with us and thank you for your support. Now, I will say that the song that we're finishing with is from the incredible album that our friends at Law Records did, The House That Bradley Built. It's got 55 different sublime covers from different artists. And we were fortunate enough to have Pepper do a couple different songs for us. One of the ones that they did was work that we do. And so when we were talking about what song to end with tonight, I said, you know, we, we don't get to give Pepper enough props, but you know, it's, it's their record label, Law Records that put out this album for us. None of this would have happened without them. So I think it would be super fitting today to end this episode with work that we do by Pepper. Shout out to the boys at Pepper and Law Records. Mm -hmm. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on another amazing episode of Bradley's House Podcast. Uh, until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Knoll. You don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Well, we realized so long, long ago in our pictures that we've seen it all the lies won't get you I've got 14 miles to go I've got rhythm, common sense I've got the soul but I won't want to come around our love so I if you are rich I'm gonna hang you on the wall and I'ma find you when I find you, gonna get your loving arms and tear. So um, we fight together. We 
about to get our weary arms to bear. Real love, something that I still hope. People make their own places and go. And now we're 94, we're gonna lie some more. In 1994, we're gonna die some more. Is it ever gonna be the last show? It's gonna be the last drop. Boss, too proud to make the constant job. Woman, don't mind. I've got ample time. They don't wonder why they do. Stop bumping all over now and place. 